Welcome to the Alatia Foundation's latest podcast under the current After the Crash series, where we seek to address the urgent energy topics of today by hearing the opinions and insights from our invited experts. The Alatia Foundation is an independent think tank aiming to provide robust and practical knowledge and insights on global energy and sustainable development topics and communicate these for the benefits of the Foundation's members and community. Providing access to sustainable energy remains one of the top priority issues in the global sustainability agenda. This will be even more so during the period of economic recovery after the coronavirus pandemic. Before the outbreak of coronavirus, substantial progress has been made in the pursuit of the goal of providing access to sustainable energy for all. A recent annual energy progress report issued jointly by the IEA, IRENA, UN Statistics Division, World Bank and WHO chronicles progress towards sustainable development goals at the global, regional and country levels. The report indicated that the global population without access to electricity decreased to about 840 million in 2017 from 1.2 billion in 2010. Renewable energy accounted for 17.5% of global total energy consumption in 2017 up from 16.6% in 2010. It also found that energy efficiency improvements have increased steadily in recent years due to concerted policy efforts in major economies, including China. However, the report concluded that additional efforts will be essential in ensuring progress toward not only SDG 7, but also the broader sustainable development agenda. The report further indicated that between 2018 and 2030, annual average investment of approximately $55 billion will be needed to expand energy access, about $700 billion to increase renewable energy and $600 billion to improve energy efficiency. A lot has been seen, written and said about the devastating impact of COVID-19 on all sectors, including the energy sector. The pandemic has led to a crash in the global energy markets and consequentially dented the progress made towards achieving the goal of universal access to affordable and clean energy by 2030. Today, I'm delighted to welcome our podcast guest, Professor Joss Delbecki, to share some perspectives on how the changes that the coronavirus pandemic is inflicting on the energy sector will shape the global recovery effort. Joss is professor at the European University Institute in Florence and at the KU Leuven in Belgium. He's been the Director General of the European Commission's DG Climate Action since its creation in 2010 until 2018. Joss played a leading role in the setting of the EU's climate and energy targets for 2020 and 2030 and was a key player in developing EU legislation on emissions trading system, cars and fuels, air quality, emissions from big industrial installations and chemicals. Good afternoon, Joss, and welcome once again to an Alatia Foundation activity. Good afternoon. It's a real pleasure to be with you. And as you were rightly indicating, my professional experience is more about policymaking on sustainability issues, on climate action, rather than the science of climate change uh, on itself. So uh, I'm happy to uh, share with you some of my experiences and my thoughts on what is currently happening uh, in the world. 
Thank you. That's an important point. Policy, obviously, key to the way we experience uh, sustainability and the energy sector around the world. Uh, and a lot of it now with uh, COVID-19 and the decisions that policymakers have had to make. Let's kick things off then, considering that the energy sector has played a crucial role in industrialization since the beginning of the last century. It remains the backbone of the global economy. How do you think, in your opinion, do you see the role of energy changing in a post-COVID world? Well, I think we are in the midst of a very fundamental change. In fact, uh, since the start of the Industrial Revolution, that was a major thing where human energy was substituted by fossil fuel energy. And I think what we are currently seeing is that we have a transition towards uh, the use of energy that is not going to be diminished, but at the same time we will see the decarbonization of the energy sources that we are using. That means that we are going to be more energy efficient, but we at the same time will use much more energy without the negative consequences, uh, such as carbon dioxide emissions or air pollution when we use uh, some of these fossil fuels in transport. And in terms of looking at the post-COVID world and the economic recovery after the, the, the crash, uh, we're hearing a lot about the word the new normal, uh, this term, the new normal, gradually relaxing restrictions, getting people back into work and economies moving again. Uh, how do you think the energy sector is going to be impacted by the new normal? What will it mean for the energy world? Well, I think that the most important uh, change that may have its continued influence is going to be on the way we work. Uh, we are less in offices, we are less moving around in the world, we are having less meetings uh, across the globe, and so the major impact is going to be on transport. Uh, so uh, we will see an impact on road transport, we will see an impact on aviation uh, business, uh, but at the same time we are also going to see perhaps less drastic and uh, important impact on the industrial production across the globe. It may shift around because uh, I have to say that uh, some people in Europe were very much surprised at the beginning of the uh, corona uh, pandemic that uh, some of the devices had to come from far away, outside Europe, and uh, people were a little bit alarmed by that. So there is a debate about how to restructure things in industrial production to produce them closer to home instead of relying for essential products from renewables coming from the other side of the globe. So the major impact, I think, is going to be transport in all its uh, appearances, uh, but perhaps even the most pronounced in aviation. Uh, on the other hand, in industry, we will are going to see a uh, shifting around of activity, you know, from some places in the world where there is a feeling that the globalization may have gone a little bit too far according to the essential needs that humankind and populations around the globe are going to need. And just to pick up on that issue um, of how things have changed, we've all had a chance to, to rethink about uh, the, the way we, we move around, like you mentioned, trains and planes and uh, industry as well. Where will this come from, the energy of the future, do you think, up until 2050? Has COVID-19 allowed businesses and individuals to really rethink the way uh, they use energy, but also where, where it will come from? Will there be this move towards renewable energy that we've seen rising in recent years, do you think? Yes, I think that renewable is going to be a major source. And 
Uh, what we saw in Europe, at least, is that with the decline in energy demand, the share of renewable energy was growing dramatically, even leading to negative electricity prices at the major parts of the day. And so that was a very new thing, that the renewables from its important share became even more important compared to where we were uh, before. So I think renewables is going to be important, but also energy efficiency is uh, going to grow in importance. And we will use fossil fuels in a modernized way. I think we are going to take out the carbon and other pollutants out of the fossil fuels before using them. So I think the emphasis is going to be increasingly on carbon capture, on how to avoid the problems related to energy. But notwithstanding that, renewable energy is going to keep growing in its combination with storage, uh, the growth of the batteries, where the um, uh, irregular production of renewables is going to be captured, and also in combination with a stormy development of the digital sector, uh, which makes uh, the renewables uh, uh, proposition much more attractive for the world at large. Having said that, uh, there is no immediate future to have a, an energy production and a reliance on energy that is totally going to be on renewables. So for the medium term, there's going to be a continued new need for fossil fuels, but then with its appropriate additional uh, um, you know, uh, treatment in order to avoid the problems related to climate change and air pollution. And we've already seen some governments looking to take the lead. For example, Denmark's announcement that it will uh, look at taxation of uh, energy moving forward. Just to pick up on that idea, lots of governments around the world, whether it's national, regional, global economies, all thinking about stimulus packages now to kickstart growth. Uh, how do you think the energy sector is going to feature into those stimulus packages and the wider economic recovery? Well, there are two effects what I'm seeing. The first one is that in those stimulus packages, uh, there is going to be a reinforced attention for energy uh, because the transition that we are currently experiencing and the availability of the technology uh, will um, lead to some stimulus to continue to the things that uh, uh, we need in view of respecting the Paris Agreement, and that is a climate-neutral uh, world in, in the future. So that's one thing. But the other thing is that this will require new funds. And uh, ultimately, uh, there is going to be a reflection on how to restructure taxation. In, uh, in particular, in the Western economies and in Europe, we have a very intensive debate about how to have a better pricing of carbon, not only for industry, but also towards consumers, uh, for transport, for heating. And I think that this rebalancing out of taxation uh, revenues coming more from energy sources and less from other sources is going to be an important uh, element of these stimulus packages. In Europe, uh, there is a raging debate about uh, uh, airlines. Uh, that are offering services at sometimes ridiculous prices. And people say, hey, this is not normal. When I drive my car, I take the train, I have to pay more for the services delivered uh, through aviation. And while we all enjoy that in the short term, people have a feeling that this is just not normal. And so I think the taxation of aviation fuel or uh, bringing uh, uh, aviation under the 
carbon market like we are having it in Europe is going to be a reinforced element of the stimulus packages that we are going to see in the future. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. We've been uh, speaking to a few people here in the UK about whether or not they uh, would choose to use trains instead of planes in the future, which is one of the uh, pushes by the environmental uh, groups and lobbyists. And really, a lot of them we spoke to said that time was just too precious, which brings us on to the, uh, the other issue. When you look at uh, decisions like this, uh, usually they require trade-offs, whether it's from governments, whether it's from private sector or indeed civil society and individuals as well. With your experience of the link between economic growth and uh, climate and energy policies, what lessons do you think can be learned in the trade-offs that may be needed in the current situation? Because something's got to give here, hasn't it? Yeah, well, we have, as far as that is concerned in the EU, a quite interesting uh, experiment because since 1990, I mean, that's the base year that the United Nations is using for its uh, climate and sustainable uh, discussion. Since 1990, GDP was up with more than 60%, while the emissions of carbon dioxide were down with at least uh, 23%. Uh, and so we are talking about a decoupling. That means that uh, uh, more um, carbon pricing, more attention for the sustainable use of fuels did not discourage economic growth, just the opposite. And so I think that uh, the secret of this uh, combination of decoupling economic growth from emissions is innovation. Uh, we need new technology. And I think that the business sector is ready to invest in this new technology. And I think in particular in the energy sector, apart from renewables, we see major shifts uh, where some of the energy um, that we were relying on in the past, like coal and lignite, is simply gradually being phased out, not only in Europe, but across the globe. And I think that that is what we are going to see, a continued decoupling economic growth from emissions, at the heart of it, innovation, and at the heart of that innovation, new ways of using energy, renewables, energy efficiency, but also making fossil fuels more sustainable. And I wanted to get your thoughts on the European Union, because obviously it's an organization very close to your heart, given the, the work that you've done with setting up uh, climate policies there. In terms of looking at the EU now, obviously a huge economic player worldwide, contributing almost a fifth of global growth. But then at the same time, it's also a huge energy consumer and 27 member states now uh, without the United Kingdom. Uh, where do you think uh, the, the EU is going to go forward on, on this carbon tax issue? It's looking to take the leadership worldwide, but it doesn't seem that all EU member states are, uh, are equal when it comes to the, the need for, for such a tax. Uh, do you think there's a proper a particular problem, at least, with, with nations that can burn significant amounts of lignite, for example? Uh, that's true. And th there is a stormy debate about how to reduce subsidies to fossil fuels because they were given in open forms, but also in hidden ways uh, through all kinds of support mechanisms. Uh, but you are mentioning the carbon market, the ETS, where there is a price on uh, carbon. And uh, it was expected that due to the COVID crisis, that the prices uh, would go down significantly. And they went down, which is normal in such a market, but they went down much less compared to what was anticipated because the system uh, was going well through the crisis. And we have today carbon prices of around 24, 25 euros per ton, which is a very important price signal 
to make a switching of fuel away from coal and lignite and towards gas, for example. Uh, in the future, we will see that the ETS is going to encourage much more renewable energy because ad hoc systems are disappearing. Uh, but we are also anticipating higher prices even, and these higher prices is going to be in relation to higher targets that are currently being discussed. Let's be clear. There are targets for 2030 that are already set in stone by way of speaking. They are part of the regulations that were adopted. And this target is minus 40% by 2030 based on 1990. But now there is a raging debate in view of the climate neutrality that is forecasted for 2050 to review that target of minus 40% to minus 50 or 55%. And that will have its impact on prices. So the prices we are currently seeing around 23, 25 euros per ton of carbon dioxide may easily double. And that will raise a number of new questions. Uh, what is the impact, for example, on the trade and in particular of carbon and energy intensive commodities? How are we going to deal with that? Because that price of, say, 40, 50 euros per ton of carbon dioxide will have its impact on trade patterns. And to pick up on that issue, fundamentally, do you think this aggressive uh, move towards climate-friendly policies that the EU is trying to champion now, particularly with new leadership at the helm under Ursula von der Leyen, do you think that's going to uh, hinder Europe moving forward or do you think it's going to help them uh, achieve investment and attract investment in the years to come? Well, there are many different uh, things that are playing out here. Uh, the first... Uh, time is going to be required. I mean, the Commission is going to make a proposal in the, in September, and then it will require one year, two years, you know, before it is really uh, translated into legislation that is really adopted. So uh, I think that the next COP in the, the UK is going to be an important one, an important deadline in that respect. So uh, that's uh, uh, one element. Another element is that uh, the Commission President von der Leyen was indicating that she is looking at carbon border adjustment mechanisms, a kind of border tax, if you want, for imported goods that are uh, containing a lot of carbon dioxide. And that is going to be a debate that she said we will take up in the WTO. And we are already taking it up in Europe with all our trade partners. So our bilateral uh, trade discussions are already dealing with the matter. Uh, are you as a country respecting the Paris Agreement? Are you, um, you know, living up to what you said you would do? And I think that debate is going to intensify. And if it turns out that that is not the case, I think that this border carbon tax is coming. And I think that all countries in the world who are interested to uh, maintain good trading relations with the EU are better aware and adapt their policies so as to have a good conversation. And that is ultimately what we want. We want a Paris Agreement that is a global agreement that is bringing down the emissions of greenhouse gases to a state that is going to allow us to respect the one and a half degrees, two degrees Celsius as was uh, stipulated in the Paris Agreement. Absolutely. And I think public opinion is a very important factor, which is often overlooked as well in a lot of these discussions. 
because governments and businesses have uh, certain ideas and expectations. But then once the, the, the swell of public opinion gets behind an idea, which they are doing with climate change, I think it makes a big, big difference, which is often uh, not really given the credit that it, it deserves. Uh, exactly. And public opinion is, of course, uh, in the European context, they're keeping 27 member states together. And 27 member states have their different energy mixes. Some are relying a lot on renewables, like Denmark, for example, or Sweden or the Scandinavians. Some others are relying very much on nuclear, such as France and others. And uh, others are still relying a lot on coal and lignite, such as Poland or Romania, Bulgaria. So uh, th th this is giving uh, uh, rise to some discussions, uh, but it always leads to decisions because decisions are made with a qualified majority. And that is uh, what was present in the past and that's what is going to be present in the future. A heated debate from time to time, but always a compromise being found. And I think that uh, compromise should be found before we go next year into the next conference of the parties under the Paris Agreement that is going to take place in the UK, which is the real deadline for action uh, worldwide. And uh, as an EU, we would like to uh, maintain our leadership in this respect. And let's zoom out then from Europe to the wider world for global listeners as well. The agencies appointed by the UN as custodian of the SDG 7, those sustainable development goals we were talking about earlier, including the likes of the IEA, the World Bank, WHO. Uh, their annual report last year uh, was designed to guide international cooperation and policy making to try and achieve something all around the world by 2030. We've seen a lot of uh, pressure on those multilateral institutions in, in the past six months, uh, which have actually been exacerbated by COVID-19. Do you think the world can really cooperate and come together on energy targets when we're seeing so many divisions elsewhere in the world? I think we should. Uh, I think we have no other choice than working together in a multilateral uh, uh, context. But at the same time, uh, as far as Europe is concerned, because uh, let's face it, the multilateral context is a little bit under pressure not least because of the uh, debates that the United States uh, president is launching from time to time. Uh, so we are putting a lot of emphasis on this bilateral cooperation and bilateral talks. And uh, we have lots of friends in the world. We have lots of intensive trade relations with the world. And so we would like to use that bilateral and the regional cooperation as a vehicle uh, to enter into a new conversation with our trading and uh, partners and, and, and diplomatic partners in the world, but that is not diminishing the role that um, institutions like the IEA or IRENA or the United Nations, uh, World Bank, the WHO, etc., have in this respect. So we have to nurture this multilateral cooperation. Uh, I think that's the best way of, uh, uh, of tackling global problems like climate change. But at the same time, we also have to intensify our uh, bilateral discussions and compare notes and see perhaps where we can exchange best practice on technology, on uh, domestic policies uh, that can be beneficial uh, to all of us in a different context in the world. Because after all, all countries are different. They have their history, their energy mix, their preferences. Uh, and I think they're taking uh, the benefit of that should uh, reinforce a lot of our bilateral talks and the regional talks uh, uh, from Europe with the world at large, and in particular with a region uh, like the Gulf region, I think is, is a very important uh, new element of our 
discussions. We are very intensive trade partners, and we have to, you know, enter into a more a, a, a wider discussion, a broader discussion about where we go with that trading relationship in the future. Absolutely. And I think uh, regardless of what individual countries or individual leaders think of multilateral institutions, the idea of getting to, together to, to talk about these issues, not just for, for governments and institutions, but also for the likes of the technology providers or the businesses that will be crucial in helping change towards uh, less carbon uh, emissions in the future will be really, really important. Um, I think so. And uh... And that is the work we can do uh, in, in the future, and that's the work we should do to prepare for the next meeting round. You know, we will not have a meeting um, of the partners under the UNFCCC this year. It will be next year because of the COVID crisis. But let's take that time to prepare much better compared to what we normally do. So that biannual uh, time schedule should, uh, should be an opportunity. To, uh, to have a better preparation, not only of the negotiation, but also of the implementation domestically of the policies that we require for the future. And just lastly, I'll put you on the spot. COVID-19, is it going to have a lasting impact on the way, a real significant lasting impact on the way businesses and individuals and companies, uh, governments will look at energy in the future, yes or no? Uh, I think it will. Uh, we discovered uh, some new habits, thanks to new technology, like the way we are communicating today. Uh, we are talking uh, through video conferences, through webinars. I think that's a new element that is going to stay up to a scale that we were not thinking was possible before the COVID crisis. So that is a good one. The other one where I'm a little bit uh, concerned about is that we need physical meetings as well. Uh, in order to have a better understanding and better negotiation around the world. The United Nations, the European Union, you know, uh, these bilateral talks uh, from person to person matter a lot uh, because they, you exchange trust, you exchange arguments, you exchange trust. And so these physical meetings have their place as well for the future and for a better understanding uh, to tackle the things we have to tackle in the, in the perspective of a climate neutral world that is, after all, what we agreed in the Paris Agreement, uh, which was a jumbo uh, meeting of person-to-person -person meetings and good trust that can be built. It needs now to be implemented, and that is a new phase of our work. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Joss, for your insights. We'll have to leave it there. Thanks for your insights and time today. As we've been hearing, uh, plenty of changes expected uh, as a result of COVID-19, interesting ones as well that we may all experience in our lives moving forward. Watch this space for the next in the Alatia Foundation podcast series. Thank you very much for your time. I'm Naweed Jabarkil. Thank you and goodbye.